Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. Great to be with you here today. Another good episode, Keith and I really are discussing the inside scoop of what happens inside marketing departments, what it means for the evolution of Hollywood, and honestly, how Kareem Daniels' position might be changing that. So welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. I gotta admit to you something to you, Keith. Oh boy, confession time. It's time. All right, let's go. I saw Top Gun for the second time. Wow. I'm already in twice. See, now this is, you know, okay. You were a little on the fence and... I was traveling. I wasn't on the fence. Now you're going to see it a second time. Oh, I guess I was on the fence with, with the review. Yeah, well, you were on the fence with the review and then you go see it again. Like, I'm starting to believe that your review is kind of bullshit. <laughs> well, maybe you liked it possible. more than you let on. <laughs> I feel I feel the responsibility of being an evangelist. So I took okay. two of my boys and not seen it yet. So I told them I would take them. So, but obviously, right. but That's I took fair. seven of us. It wasn't just three. I mean, the whole family went again. So we did. We committed. Wow. Yeah. The whole Thompson clan rolled on down to the theater. I think I want the. I think I want movies to come back so bad. I'm willing to personally finance the, <laughs> <laughs> the return of. Theatrical release. The theater manager must smile from ear to ear when he sees you guys roll up in the Thompson van. Yes, here they come again. Yeah. Seven tickets. Sold. Yeah. Totally sold. Well, and I, um, it was a good chance for me to cash in on four of my Cinemark credits. So I actually got, you know, the pass in there. So there's a, oh, a few okay. decision making uh, things happening. Okay, got it. But I, I, I saw it twice. And um, yeah, I think I feel a little bit differently about it the second time around. I, Okay. Well, the first time I felt like I was just living a comparison. Like, okay, cool. Compare, compare, compare. Yes, you said. And this time I feel like I went in there because I didn't have to compare anymore to like just see if I could enjoy the movie. And, and you it's did. enjoyable. There's some slow spots still. I'm going to tell you. Uh, yeah. I think the whole Jennifer Connelly relationship is totally unbelievable. And I didn't buy any of that, but I just kind of shrugged it off. I was like, meh. Yeah. It didn't have the 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 sort of the fire that he and Kelly McGillis had in the first. So they also didn't have the blue light that you know the blue light scene. Oh, the bar? No, no, no. The the eighties montage blue light, you know, sex scene. Like the you know the oh, there well, was they had always one. the blue. That I actually I forgot. No, but it wasn't. There was no blue light. It was like they were laughing, they were smiling, and then they. It was three shots. No, but there was that moment when he's like leaning over her that very much mimics the scene from the original. And I will say that was the one time in the theater when I saw it. It got a lot of sort of oh come on chuckles like <laughs> yeah. yeah this is ridiculous. I mean come on we need to we're do not buying shot by shot of- <laughs> yeah. yeah like he's a crazy Scientologist or something like that. I'm not buying any of this anyway. That's so funny. But uh, what's funny is, and I forgot, my, I had this the same thought too, as I was leaving, one of my kids said, oh, I thought for sure he was going to die. And I was, and I remember thinking that too. I'll admit so yeah. did I. Yeah, I forgot. I, th- I was like, okay, this is going to be when they pass the torch from Maverick to Rooster. Exactly. And his squad. And this is sort of like uh, the next movie is going to focus on on that side of the ledger, not necessarily on any more Maverick story, yeah. but... That wasn't well, the case. Then the question. So, I honestly thought he was going to die. I thought that was going to be like they're going to kill him because everyone else is dying. Val Kilmer died. Meg Ryan's character died. Uh, Goose is died. Like everyone else is kind of out dead. Yeah. So why not just kill off Maverick? Yeah. No Tom Skerritt. No Michael Ironside. Yeah. I mean, come well, on. Tom Skerritt was too busy making Jurassic Park, which totally lost out too. 
No, what he's not in Jurassic Park, is he? Isn't he the? Oh yeah, no, no, not Tom Scarrett. Sorry, I was thinking. Um, I, I can't remember. <laughs> Sam, Sam Neill. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Sorry. Yeah. Wow. Totally. <laughs> not even. I know. Close comparison. That's. But there's there you go. Know, there's uh thirty wow. years of of thinking about Hollywood characters. Yeah. Remember. That's thirty years. There you go. Yep. Yep. I I remember thinking that too that he was going to die and that'd be interesting. But then it led to the question: Does Tom Cruise ever die? And I think that the only collateral, did he die in collateral? It's the only movie we can think of that he might have died in. Yes, I believe so. Didn't he die at the end? We might have to have Connor look that up. Connor, I, we might need you to kind of yeah. uh, chime in here and we, behind the scenes and tell us if. Love that movie, by the way. Collateral. Makes Los Angeles actually look like a beautiful <laughs> city. <laughs> Which speaks to Michael Mann's genius. Exactly. <laughs> He's a he is a music video director. Yeah. He's like, you make sitting there watching, like, ooh, I actually want to live there. Wait, where is he shooting this? That's LA. No way. <laughs> Streets are too clean. Uh yeah, the the death part. I I kind of forgot that that was true, but my kids reminded me as we saw it second time. So death and he always runs. Oh that's the other thing. He always runs did, in his movie. We did kind of like he has to run. Must run. Every single movie, there's got to be a... <laughs> oh, he does die in collateral. Thank you, Connor. Yes, he does die. So that is the one yeah, he dies. I can't think of any other one. He always survives. Um, and then we did see the trailer for the new Mission Impossible. Oh, I didn't see that. Really? Oh, yeah, dude. It's. Oh, wait. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah, it does look I don't know awesome. who like, edited I'll, I'll it, but it that. is so not an MI... Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Connor says, "Edge of tomorrow." He dies thirty times. <laughs> he does die thirty times, and he kind of dies in oblivion, sort mm. of. It just right? say to him, right? That's all they do. They don't. Yeah, yeah, but he he's like there's there's thirty different versions of him. Oh right, yeah. That's the whole thing of oblivion. It's because the giant alien brain used him and the woman to yeah um, create replicas, genetic replicas. We're gonna have to. Think of all time. Okay, so going back to Oops, uh, spoiler back. alert. Sorry if anybody hasn't seen Oblivion, I just ruined it. <laughs> um, but go back Jeez. to Mission Impossible. The whoever cut the trailer, it's so brilliant because it's not the um, don't don't they don't start out that way. It's um, a wonderful kind of very uh, theatrical experience, and it's suspenseful feeling a little bit. Kind of, it, it honestly mm-hmm. looks very much like uh, a James Bond type film. And you're almost surprised because there's a setup at the very beginning of the trailer. You're surprised it's Tom Cruise's face. And then you realize we're pulled into Mission Impossible. Um, but the graphic design, I'm mean, very, very classy. Excited about it. But it also reveals that it's whatever. Two parts. It's in two parts. Yeah. Maybe he'll die in that one. That's what we'll say. Maybe. Or maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe Ethan Hunt will die in this one and then live to fight another day 30 years down the road when Tom Cruise is. 80, almost 90, and he's still acting. <laughs> is Paula Wagner still doing that with him? What happens? With- uh, no, 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 no. Um, he's doing those with, um, what's his name? Skydance guy, who's uh, Oracle's kid, founder oh, yeah. of Oracle, Larry Ellison. Uh, Ellison, uh, yeah. Ellison. Brett Ellison, I want to say. Because uh, I it was a Cruz Wagner. I mean, it was a Cruz Wagner entity, right? It was Cruz Wagner when he and Paula were together. And then yeah. he and Paula parted ways when United artists was bought out by, cause I think Paul, he, they were running United artists for a brief period. Yeah. Yeah. I think. They- um, and then Don Granger, who was their like producing partner, he went over to 
he went over to Skydance, I think, and now he works with mm. Ella, uh, Ellison. So I, I don't, I don't think Paula Wagner's in the picture anymore. I think she yeah. is retired. I didn't know if did she still get, gets a piece of that because there's, I mean, they obviously about she the might. entity together. I don't know. They, I she's probably maybe an executive producer on all of them, but I don't know how how involved she is. Um, hey, let's talk about the New York Times article about our oh, good friend. Yeah. We finally got a little bit of insight here on Kareem Daniel. Yes, we did. Um, kudos to the Ankler for. Uh, I know. I have a feeling, but the fact that they wrote that little piece uh, that nobody knows anything about Kareem Daniel, and then all of a sudden, lo and behold, a wonderful New York Times profile shows up. Right, right. On uh, I think that was what? What's today? The first? So it was like Tuesday or Wednesday, I think. Yeah. Just in time to uh, prove prove uh, the right before uh, Bob Chapek's heading down to Orlando for his big meeting with the board to see if whether or not he keeps his job or not. But yeah, um, yeah, it was it was it was an interesting article. Um, uh, it didn't really dive much into stuff we didn't already know about him. Um, there were some interesting, you know, side tidbits. The fact that uh, Bob Chapek didn't speak to the reporter; he only sent an email, which is a it's a little interesting, but that's one way to handle it. You know, I mean, listen, I, I imagine that the reason was Bob. I mean, it's only the New York Times. I mean, it's only the New York Times. And I don't yeah. think Bob really wanted to talk about anything else other than Kareem Daniel. So that's why he stuck to an email because, mm, yeah. you know, yeah. a reporter being a reporter would probably more want to dive into other controversies that seem to be surrounding Chapik's, uh, uh run at the top. So. Um, and then the other thing was, um, you and I commented a little bit about this at the top when um, he mentioned that, uh, this is his quote, I tried to get up to speed quickly, working very hard, trying to understand as quickly as possible what the needs are, knowing that I don't have to be the expert in the room. I need to manage experts, which, you know, that's, that's an interesting way um, to look at it, given that wow. so much of you know, he's apparently has like nine direct reports and that's all well and good. And it's, it's nice to hear yeah. that he has faith in his people, but at the same time, you do need to kind of really understand <laughs> what's going on. And I'm sure that's not saying that he doesn't know what's going on, but that comment was sort of like, well, that's, well, it's an insightful quote because of this, right? So yep. the Henry Ford quote, there's something to say, I've surrounded myself with experts. Or yes. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I have right. experts to tell me. But it's another one to say, like, I manage the experts. That's such yeah. a, like, it's like a power position of like, I don't have to be the smartest. I just I just have to manage the smartest. Have the smartest people reporting to me so that I, yes. yeah, yeah, that's like. Uh, it feels wow, like a, the difference between people who work for me and people who work with me. Totally that you way. You can kind of, you can kind of, um, distill someone's leadership style based on how that answer they, they introduce a person who happens to be like their number two or whatever, whether or not it's for me or with me, you can kind of discern how they view them in the hierarchy. This kind of seems to say to me, like I'm the boss. These guys all just, you know, report into me. So it's nice to have them in the room, but I'm ultimately the, the, the decision maker. I think there's something true to, who you see in the like the nature of a person, the way they kind of think of the people that report to them or work with them yeah. or whatever. So mm -hmm. interesting quote. Maybe that's a little bit more insight there too. I I don't know. Like I have this uh, imagination that that makes me think that the uh, Chapek was going into these negotiations 
And somebody's talking to is like, and then who the hell is this Kareem guy anyway? You know, the anchor is even admitting. And they're like, oh, quickly get out something about Kareem. Let's, you know, hire so that we don't have to go face that fire when we're talking about my extended three-year contract or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's part of it. I think it's also that because they don't come from the industry as a whole, uh, you know, they think they came up from very different parts and then he met, they met in like the home entertainment division or something like that. And they kind of rose up together. Um, I think they're really figuring out quickly. This is very much relationship business and it's very insular and small. And if people don't really know who you are or what you do, that makes your job even more difficult. So I think in that regard, I think they're finally realizing we got to get cream out there. So people understand what his role is. I mean, when the position was announced, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast in the past. It was sort of like the idea was, okay, the town will just figure out what he is, like what he does. And the town is still figuring it out. And he didn't go on a road tour like Zaslov did to sort of meet everybody in the town, meet all the agencies, meet all the talent, you know, just sort of get it like, hey, I'm Kareem. I'm new in the town. I'm taking on this new role. Um, so I can, I, you know, I think there's a recognition that now that we're out of the pandemic a little bit and things are sort of starting to return to normal, that maybe now is the time to get cream out there to meet more people, meet more of the talent. You know, you have uh, Mahi, Maha Dakil is a high bigger up, higher up at CAA. She's commenting on it. You got Sean Bailey, who's the head of production at Disney, also commenting on him. So it's sort of like this idea, like, listen, people know this guy, you know, just now he's opening himself up to the town. So maybe now you can get to know him a little bit better and having a better understanding of what he does and what his role is and how he works in the entire Disney ecosystem. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's so interesting to watch this thing play out because there, you know, his role is a strategy of, for marketing, right? We're basically saying, Hey, there are, we don't know all the answers yet. As we make the content, we're going to have some discernment, watch the marketplace, which you know, maybe in very smart ways, there's been mm -hmm. a lot of changes in a very short amount of time. So to have right. a key role that's going to make those decisions as the industry changes, the market changes. Um, but but it's a role that no one's had before. And there's obviously a shift of command mm -hmm. in the process of doing it. So you're going to imagine, you know, if, if a role gets created inside of a major enterprise like Disney, that no one's seen before. There's got to be some criticism, even some learning curves to what this role is and how, how it's going to play itself out. So it yeah. probably requires a little bit of understanding and grace and not just run out to the press immediately and say, we've totally figured it out. This is the perfect job. This is exactly how the job's going to work. They might be saying, we don't know how this is going to work, but we know we need it. Let's find the right person and see if we can work our way through it. Yeah. And now that we now know that Bob Chavik's going to be around for a few more years. I think this is going to give them time to sort of figure out how this all works in sort of a more normal environment, not necessarily normal pre-pandemic, but sort of the new world order in terms of where things go versus theatrical and streaming and Hulu and, you know, all the various, various uh, avenues in which Disney plays in now. So, yeah, interesting. Well, you've alluded to it a couple of times, but JPEG got his renewal, huh? I mean, if you were just talking last week about, we don't know what's going to happen. They, they must be listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, in my newsletter last week, I did say that he was going to get re-upped because I, I, there was just, 
it would be hard for me to say it's for them to say, you know, this has been way too rocky. We need to find somebody new when he did lead the company through probably its most difficult time and it's on how many year history. Um, so I think it would have been a little short sighted to, to chuck him over the side. I think he obviously is drastically different from the Iger, the Bob Iger era in terms mm-hmm. of his persona with the media um, his relationship with talent, obviously something he is working on and learning. Um, and I think, you know, the board was like, yes, the stock price has dropped, but so is everyone else's stock price. Um, but we're confident in the vision that he has laid forth and, you know, listen, you get three years and I can imagine someone on the board is probably instructed to start vetting some candidates in the off chance that this continues to go in the wrong direction to start looking at potential um, replacements if the next three years are rock is as rocky or rockier than his first few years uh atop this might be the first time i've felt sympathy for for shapek but i i you think about like the last three years have been horrendous to be in charge yeah now you I almost wonder, could you go wrong? Because everyone's guessing and no one can really blame you for trying anything in the middle of a pandemic. And in the meantime, mm-hmm. they their Disney Plus audience grew amazingly, right? So they they got to the sweet side of the deal. Yeah. But, you know, he had to wake up every morning and figure out how to keep an enterprise going that was uh, shifting. Yeah. And that's what I talked a lot about in my newsletter last week. It was... It I I was very sympathetic to to Bob because he got a lot of first of all he shows up post Iger and Iger was beloved Iger hangs around says oh yeah I'm taking over but wait I'm not leaving for two more years I'm going to be like this executive chairman I'm going to work on creative but that's got to be weird to have your former boss still lurking around the lot sure you know checking things out commenting on things still commenting on things even after he left the Disney he's still making comments in Twitter and. You know, he's not really going quietly into that good night. And mm-hmm. that's a challenge. He's got a press that doesn't really like him and kind of wants him to fail. And sort of after him about every little thing, he's got employees who are proving to be fairly woke. So it's sort of like he's dealing with that. And then, you know, there's just all these angles that, and the whole Scott Johansson thing was, yes, that seemed like from our perspective to be mishandled. But at the same time, maybe he looked at it as like, why is she making this much money? This is ridiculous. We need to <laughs> yeah, we right. need to look at the bottom line. This is insane. And, you know, the back end was handled a little sloppily. And but, mm-hmm. you know, that was also Brian Lord, who's like the kingmaker in Hollywood, probably running the messaging on that strategy. So we don't really know what exactly happened. Maybe he was just trying to to reset the bar a little bit in terms of compensation. And it just got blown out of proportion or it just was mishandled. But again, as I mentioned in my newsletter, it's this is very much what happens when it's it's somebody who's an outsider, someone who isn't from the sort of insular industry. Like, and we have to understand that Chapek oversees a vast conglomerate, not just the studio. He oversees yeah, parks, consumer products, so cruise much lines. cruise lines. Like, there's <laughs> yeah. so much more involved. And all his pre his two previous uh, successors were or predecessors. We're all industry folk. You had Michael Eisner who had a stint at Paramount. And then you had Bob Iger who was at ABC. They were all entertainment guys. And then this product guy comes in who was running the parks and is now running the show. And industry is like, wait, what? He's not one of us. What the, but mm-hmm. 
And, you know, he, he came in with a little bit like a bull in a china shop. And he's like, we got to make some major changes here if we're going to survive. And I think the sharp elbows and sort of the, you know, not the sort of polished look of Bob Iger, I think took a lot of people back. And he was sort of rebuffed in a lot of ways because he wanted to make some serious changes to the bottom line. And that affects people's well-being and how much money they're paid. And those are things that are going to have very much. He's probably been set up that way. Like he would, when he got the job, he probably talked about the bottom line and the board yeah. knew like, okay, this is the person we need right now. Like it's yeah. not. So he, he was even probably brought into it for that position. And then he, he's done some new things. Kareem's job yeah. being one of them, but asking new questions. So then after three years of that, now the world is in a recession all stock prices are going down and now he has to sit on top of that pile of crap. Even yeah. Like just that one deal, the situation he's in right now would be hard enough, but to come out of a pandemic process into this one, you're like, are you kidding me? So yeah, it's, it, he's definitely facing a, a tough road ahead for sure. Um, you know, but I think hopefully things will calm down and, you know, he does have to sort of resolve the whole Florida thing in terms of that that special land grant deal that was revoked um, that kicks in in a year. Um, so that's a big thing that they're, 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 I'm sure going to have to face. Um, and, you know, there's the, the numbers that he has predicted in terms of Disney plus, which now are going to be hard to miss because they lost cricket. As I alluded to last, last week mm-hmm. in India, they lost the streaming rights to that. Um, and that's going to affect their bot, you know, the numbers a little bit. So I, I have a feeling the stock price is probably going to, take a bit of a hit for the next few months. So he's got, he's got a rough road ahead. Um, but you know, I think it, it's smart for the board to just steady as she goes, let's see where things go. And you know, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if there's sort of like a small sort of like, let's start taking a look at below, see if there's any other candidates that might necessarily be worth starting to groom, potentially take over at some point. It's interesting. Cause we talk, uh, and have talked a lot over the last couple of years of what, it takes to be a leader and that to some degree, the old guard is, has been around and is sticking around yeah. and for Disney to go through these transitions again, like I think there's a step that Disney made in saying, let's take the product guy and put him as CEO instead of kind of like old guard mentality. You have to be mm-hmm. in the club in order to keep the club going Yeah, to shake things up that way to recognize there's new opportunities, but that, that old guard has to be replaced somewhere um, or something different is going to come up anyway, right? Like yeah. um, positions were just going to, are going to be moved on because the the relevance of your your um, insight or the work that you're going to do has to you know it has to change with the world. And if you're just sticking to I wish it was like it was yesterday kind of mentality, or you're right. only hiring leadership that understands yesterday's problems, yeah. you're not going to be evolving very strong. So it's right. interesting that Disney's able to kind of ask those questions and they might be in a position again where that shift is taking place. Um, but I think we maybe we'll see that happen in a short form all over Hollywood, different studios asking questions about some, some leadership positions. Yeah. And I think, I think we're, we're starting to see a lot of that. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about this in our pre-show, but right now there are three major marketing head positions open. There's Apple film, Apple TV plus the, the film I'm talking film side. Um, Prime Video, um, their CMO is leaving, was announced she was leaving this past week. And then Lionsgate had Mar Liston, uh, Marissa Liston was um, 
let go a few couple weeks ago, I believe, or she's leaving, announced she was leaving a few weeks ago. Um, and they're still open. And, and no one's stepping into that. Role. And no one's stepping in. And um, Mike Hopkins, who oversees Amazon Prime Video and announcing uh, Ukonwa's uh, departure, um, basically said, I'm going to talk to you know a lot of people in the company and see what the next steps are. So clearly, mm-hmm. there's this vibe of like, maybe things are shifting enough that we don't need to put somebody in right away. And maybe this is an opportunity for us to kind of look at marketing the whole function as a whole and see what the next steps are. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that, so for example, at Apple, <clears throat> the head there was JP Richards, who came from years at Warner brothers, very successful run um, under Blair. And, um, you know, he was at Apple for a little over a year. Now I, nobody know. I don't know. I only, he and Apple knows why he left. It was sort of out of the blue that he announced he was leaving I don't think he's landed anywhere yet, or at least it hasn't been announced yet. Um, so it's 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 interesting whether or not he was too steeped in the old ways, and Apple was like, "No, we need someone who's forward-looking," or could it be a problem where he missed the old ways, the more theatrical campaign, and the Apple TV streaming world just wasn't a good fit? But I think it's it's a recognition that they're not necessarily the same game, and it's nice if you have those relationships and the, and the understanding of marketing, but clearly streaming marketing is a completely different beast from a theatrical perspective. And I think we've seen a lot of that over the last few years. What does, I was going to ask the question, what does that role do? But I guess the real question is, is if someone's not fulfilling that role right now, how does that actually happen? Are these markets so broken up into different chunks that you can have a head of each I don't know, segment or silo of marketing and have that function enough? Right. Or do you need to have, eventually have a, a head of marketing? I mean, I guess it doesn't even the idea of what Cream's job is has to. They're ultimately, I mean, I think, I think in, in my experience, there ultimately needs to be someone who final, who makes the final decision because marketing, particularly when it comes to creative in, in, in content is, a very subjective business and you have a lot of hands in the cookie jar. Yeah. <laughs> Put it so lightly. Who's making that decision then right well, now? Well, I mean, ultimately I think at this point it's probably gone to the heads of the divisions or, um, mm. you know, someone has been anointed in the interim to make decisions or it's absolute chaos, which is entirely possible. It's kind of a scapegoat position, right? Because so when a movie fails, it's one of the people you can blame of like, well, the marketing wasn't good. If marketing did this and marketing did that. Ah, so do you think it's a, a position that people are avoiding? Like, I don't right. want a, some crappy job. That's the ongoing argument. It's been since time in memoriam. Like when I was at New Line and I was working in development, we would always blame marketing for the movies not working because yeah. we didn't deliver you a crap movie. That's yeah. not what we do. And then when I was in marketing, it was like, oh, this movie's a POS. Well, yet again, we have to save development from themselves and save the movie because they made a crap movie. We have to polish another turd. So it's an ongoing debate about whose fault, who's to blame. Um, but it's, it ultimately boils down to with the amount of content, uh, you know, it has to feel like an event for somebody to, again, pair it, to use Robin's phrase, or it's an event for nobody. And that really requires somebody steering the ship, whether or not it's some a strategic person, a head of strategy who's pushing it in a certain direction. 
Because when it comes to creative, when I was at Fox, we had strategy people and they were more or less ignored. Like we just cut whatever we wanted to cut. Um, you know, the idea was, well, we'll know what the strategy is once we see the trailer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> once we like, like the, what the trailer we which like. Which is a little backwards. It's like, you know, ready, ready, fire, aim. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not, it's not the best way to do it. And with the, the plethora of options that are now bombarding consumers, you need to have a very strategic plan laid out of how you're going to stick out in terms of what's happening and make it feel like an event. And that's, for example, something that Paramount has done very well in the last few weeks, a few, few releases. They effectively made their movies feel like events. And despite the fact that there's things happening on streaming that are big time events as well. So that's, why you really need someone who can step in and, you know, right, you know, point the ship in the proper direction. So, you know, a ton, little, ton of little speedboats going all over the place, spitting in different directions. I'm curious of like how this evolves, because this might be the first position where finally Hollywood has to put in new, new fresh blood. New blood, yes. And there's a great opportunity to have a voice and a position. I mean, marketing has uh, has such an influence over our perception Mm -hmm. of how Hollywood and Hollywood movies work. And if you, if you just simply look at trailers from the seventies, trailers (laughs) from the eighties, trailers from the night, you just watch some basic things. You'll see like these major shifts in that storytelling aspect of marketing. And even Mm -hmm. to the point of almost like what I was saying about the mission impossible trailer, it's, it's so different. It's not in your face and it has a, a different presence to it that you know there's a real artistic craft that is part of marketing that mm-hmm. has a lot of opportunity and influence. So I'm curious why these positions would remain open. Like, are there, is the talent not there? Is the strategy not there? Are the studios changing? Has the technology changed and the outreach to community uh, or followers changed? Is it all of it that, that studios are hesitating or can't yeah. find the right right candidate? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a tough question because it, it, it could be the fact that it, I think it's, it's definitely all, all of those factors that you listed are involved. I think there is a, we've talked a lot about how it seems like there's just a, it's like a washing machine, you know, one executive leaves and they just end up somewhere else. And it's just like the same people and the same conversations. And, um, you know, marketing affords you the opportunity to try to try some you know, something different. Um, now there are a lot of, you know, examples in the past of executives who come from outside the industry and just bomb epically MT Carney who ran Disney marketing under rich Ross for two years is one example where it just didn't work. And he was trying something new. He went out and got someone who's a branding expert, um, you know, just to try a different new, somebody new, um, and that didn't really work. Um, so, you know, I think the key is to find someone who understands the industry, how it works, the relationships, how important those relationships are, but also wants to try new things and wants to, to experiment and isn't afraid to experiment and doesn't, isn't necessarily so institutionalized by how things have been done in the past mm-hmm. to be afraid to try something new. And um, 
I think that the list of candidates that all those qualifications would apply to is unfortunately short. Um, and you listen, these jobs are not picnics. Uh, they're hard, they're hard jobs. Um, and I think there's a lot of pressure. So, I mean, I think that could play into it as well. Um, and yet, you know, to your point earlier, you made pre-podcast. Yes, everybody, there's always somebody who wants a job, <laughs> but I, I think, um, the amount of investment that's required for these jobs, um, you know, it, it can sometimes be a little uh, off-putting to some people. Um, but I, I would imagine the, the positions now too, I mean, there's so many things that are, have changed, um, right. that maybe the last couple of years, I'm like, do I really want to get into marketing while the industry's just struggling getting anybody? Even was there even a job in marketing or was it just OTT? You know, there's the place. To put well, it. the bigger question is, is there, is, is the industry really pulling in new talent? That's the other question. Um, I think the industry's biggest struggle is they have no real system of apprenticeship. It's this idea that you have to start at the bottom and work your way up, but mm -hmm. there's no like sense, like anyone's really groomed. Like there's no, like no one's, I, it's, listen, it's entirely possible that they are grooming people, you know, and getting them ready. But I, I as far as my experience, I haven't seen it. Like I don't see yeah. anyone over at Universal being, being, um, you know, shown the ropes to take over for Donna Langley when the time comes or Jeff Shell, or for example, over at, you know, Warner Brothers when Mike DeLuca and Pam Abdi, you know, hang, hang up the, 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 uh, the crown or even at Sony where you've got, yeah, I've got Tom Rothman, but then you've got um, Josh Greenstein and Sanford Panich, both who are not spring chickens who are probably going to vie for the job once Tom steps aside. But well, what about somebody who's not in their sixties, like, or heading into their fifties? What about someone who's young and, you know, is it, well, it, this is where the problem is. And it's, it's just, again, it goes back to this washing machine mentality. There's no, it's the same names. Every time there's an open position, it's the same names, same yeah. names. And it's like, well, you know what, why don't you shift it and look at sort of like the SVPs or the VPs that are crushing it and give them a shot. Yeah. Even if you don't give them the, the main gig, have somebody come in and say, all right, you're going to have the gig, but I want you to mentor this guy and this guy or gal. And I want you to prepare them to eventually a C. But again, the industry yeah. is not built that way. It's very much. I think the loyalty from employees, loyalty to other things. I mean, I, my list is pretty short too of people I would choose. Um, mm -hmm. the, only, the only person I would really choose, but he's really too busy writing the founder's brew. <laughs> and he's yeah. not a spring chicken either so I mean, he no, just I'm not himself a spring out chicken, of the but that's okay i listen i you know i think you the wouldn't want problem, that job today would you really honestly want to sit there and i mean i i would do i i think i listen it would it would depend a lot on upcoming slate like what what's my what's my roadmap look like what am i looking at what kind of movies am i going to be working on and what kind of support am i going to get like is this going to be something where you're going to i'm going to be micromanaged or am I going to be given free reign? Free reign. But I think the biggest problem is that the industry itself is not really the way it's set up and has been set up. Is it's not really a environment where you're sort of supported in terms of I want you. You my success is based on if you succeed as well. That's not how the industry works. The industry is you're like, you are here to make me succeed, and that's it. And if I happen to ride up and you can come along with me, that's great. But 
you know, you're here to make me look good. And that's how it is. Not, I'm not here to make you look good. And that's yeah. sort of the mentality that's dominated. And you can see that now because there are, because there are so few people that constantly get mentioned anytime a job comes up. And when they, and obviously some of the examples you gave are people that even when they did the job, it's short lived one year, two years, right? It's not a lifetime kind of a position. Right. Right. Exactly. So interesting. We have to keep our eyes on this because I think you're, you might be onto something that we're looking at as a trend of Mm -hmm. what's really going to happen in studios. If this position is one, you know, more, more readily available and then not, um, not sought after as a position right. that people want to take. Yeah. We're going to have to ask new questions of how we're going to reach audiences and what's going to be there. I, right. I, I think it's obvious for anyone listening to, to us talk about this, that marketing really is kind of in our blood. We understand mm-hmm. that part and love that part. And there is a different type of storytelling you do in marketing than in the yes. actual feature. That's absolutely true. And that, that challenge and opportunity to be creative is just another realm of yeah. of storytelling and it absolutely and is Hollywood yep. influence. So mm-hmm. um, really, really interesting. All right, my friend. Well, I know that you are packing things up so you can head off to Maine to enjoy your summer. <laughs> yeah, um, yes, I, I, I am going to be heading to Maine in about a week, but I do have to do a stop up um, back west in Pittsburgh for a summer family thing. So, um, but yes, we have. My wife has started putting together lists, things are starting to pile up next <laughs> to the door. We are getting ready for our uh, annual trek northward. So yeah, sounds awesome. Yes. Uh, and in the meantime, you have a wonderful 4th of July. Thank um, you. You too. Happy Independence Day. Yeah. You know what? It, this is one of those, um, <laughs> this is one of those holidays where it's actually sh- falling on the day you get off. I know. So there's a, it's just, it's kind of fun. Like that, that moment where, you know, you're actually celebrating on the day. On the actual um, day, yeah. But I think my favorite is when it's on a Tuesday because you also get Monday off along the way. Yeah, People, that's true. Yeah. It is nice to get, you get the extra day. Yeah, so that is an added bonus. That next bonus. year is one of my favorite. Uh, yeah, next year. Yeah. There you go. All right, enjoy the fireworks. You too. Good to see your face. And we'll see you next Friday. See you next week.